Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 41. I'm joined finally by our new co-host, Edwin. He's been on the cast quite a bit. We also, as always, have our wonderful co-host, Travis Allen and Jim Selavie, who both write for different competing websites. Now this week, we have quite a few things to talk about. Um, as you may have known, we did ask quite a few questions to our loyal subscribers on Twitter today about what topics we should talk about. Some of the things we'll be mentioning today are the Magic Online announcement by Hasbro, as well as the profit margins per player. And then we'll get into a little bit of the Pro Tour, which is probably something that we'll start off with. So this weekend, you know, everyone thought that Copycat was going to be doing really well. And, you know, I know from Ed's side and my side, Sahili was selling really well. And all of a sudden you have this Mardu deck that comes along and it turns out that when you have that Fleetwood artifact, it makes you cruise real easily to victory. So what do you guys think about the Pro Tour and the top eight and some of the decks that we saw perform in Dublin? I think your puns are horrible. You What's, be, you What's Fleetwood? What is Fleetwood? You mean Fleet Wheel? Fleet Wheel Cruiser. Yeah, you didn't say that. You messed up. Yeah, you done goofed. That's why your puns are bad. What do you what What do you guys think about this Pro Tour? Uh, so I heard that they banned Smuggler's Copter, but in actuality, they just made it a Mythic Rare. I'm pretty sure that's what happened there. Um, the Martyr deck is like whatever. It's taking advantage of. Uh, Spire of Industry being busted and a bunch of artifacts being probably under-costed and not having heavy color requirements and I don't know it, it, it could mean nothing because the last Pro Tour had like a Grixis and Jeskai control deck in, in the top two and then they just never existed past that tournament because the Teamer Energy deck also didn't exist which was the deck it was preying upon so uh, it's possible that we continue to see growth in Heart of Huron because that's a small set mythic that may not be open that much. Um, and it might be another, you know, well, I, I think we need to wait till the banning announcement to see if we see any actual movement in cards because Standard was looking really sweet. People were a little worried about the Jeskai Felidar Guardian deck. But that didn't seem overly oppressive. It was just very good. This Mardu deck just looked unreal good. It was just destroying everyone in every win bracket. So I don't really know what's going on. Um, to kind of break that down, I think standard is one of those things where it's hard to, to look at any individual results. Um, if you went off of the first two weeks, you could say that Blackwing Delirium and Copycat were very clearly the big winners um, because Mardu Vehicle is pretty much like a non-existent deck. I think some people were playing around. People kind of knew that Hard Cairn was a real player. Um, but in terms of actual like powerhouses, it really takes a pro tour to kind of shape what the meta looks like because those are people who really put in the hours and hours of testing to really streamline their decks. But to take that even further, once these deck lists are out, people know what it looks like for the meta going forward. People can now transition that into millions of hours on Magic Online to really fine-tune the decks. And I think that gives the format a little bit more room to grow. So while I do think Mardu Vehicles is definitely a real powerhouse, it does look very good on paper. I do think there's a little bit of evolution to be had. Probably the control decks can clean things up. Cards like Kha'Zix Return, Flame Tendrils, I do think they gain a bit of equity um, for control shells, mainly because it's hard to build a control deck when you don't exactly know what you're trying to beat. You're just kind of going in there hoping that your mismatch of uh, counter spells, kill spells, and draw spells are good enough to overwhelm your opponents, which sometimes it is. But now that you know you have to beat these low-to-ground aggressive decks or you have to have the artifact removal or counter spells for the uh, the combo decks, then it's I think it's a little bit easier to build a control shell around that, which we might see going forward. Yeah, I'm uh, inclined to agree with Ed here. Um, this wouldn't be the first time that <clears throat> we see a Pro Tour where there's a relatively unknown deck or not a major deck that comes in uh, is a story of the tournament 
and then disappears right after it happened back uh pro tour dark ascension um finkel and his team showed up with blue white spirits played dungeon geist was one of the key cards um that card looked really good on camera i don't think that won that event uh but it looked really good in any case and then it went nowhere in standard uh so even though vehicles really crushed this weekend i don't think we've seen the last of Sahili at all and i wouldn't be surprised to see the Sahili combo end up taking the forefront of the format again because next weekend all the star city grinders or people going to the grand prix are going to be like well i know what i have to do to beat the vehicles deck uh but the vehicles deck is going to have a lot more time adjusting to beat Sahili then it, it will be much easier for Sahili to adjust to beat vehicles so you know by the time we get to the banning we actually could be in a position where Sahili still needs to go uh just because i see that deck adapting much better than i do the vehicles and following up on what travis said about this um you know, Wizards has stated that they will consider banning or unbanning something, I believe, a month after this Pro Tour or five weeks, somewhere around then. Yeah, five weeks. Um, I personally, after the Pro Tour, I put, well, we put all of our walking ballistas out for sale at a reduced price. We put all of our Sahilis out for a reduced price because I think we'll find something to beat walking ballista, even with the amount of decks it's in right now. And I don't want to be caught holding Sahilis, right? Now, if it gets banned, you know, if it, I think it'll keep going down from the Pro Tour as the meta shifts, and I think it's just better to dump your copies, especially if you got in early. So we we sold uh, 20 walking blisses in the shop for 11 each, and then we sold 20-ish online for 10.5 on TCG. So I was basically just like, you know what, I'm going to dump these. If these come into the shop because little... You know, Timmy just found out his rare doubled. Sure, I'll buy it, but I don't want to be holding what is more than necessary for my local and online sales. Do you really think that it's a good idea to sell out a walking ballista, like to fire sell them? I noticed the low on walking ballista dropped to, it's like nine-ish, nine-ten, which isn't terrible. It was, I saw one for seven something the other day, but I'm thinking like, it wasn't really that big at the pro tour, but it still seems like it's going to be really relevant. Like black green just seems like it's going to be a good deck, whether vehicles is the main bad guy in the room or it's Sahili combo like and constrictor ballista Rishgar is just going to be good no matter what. So it seems like walking ballista almost has room to grow from here. Um, not that I'm saying you should buy them, but like I own them and I'm not sure if I want to rush to get rid of them. So as far as what I'm concerned, um, we did buy a lot of these for whatever the pre-spike price was. And because this card had steadily gone up in price up to the Pro Tour and then solidified its position at both Star City events and the Pro Tour, I got rid of all but maybe three playsets in the brick and mortar and every single copy online. I'd rather lock in my profit now and look to move on to the next spec, which is you know something I think we all can relate to. Uh, Ed, how is Kerwan's approach? I mean, I'm sure you had a great time doing shipping today and looking at collections at the shop. Uh, did you guys notice anything that sold more than normal today, or was it just the same old, same old grind? Um, for the most part, uh, we we actually had regionals over the weekend, so that was actually like kind of a big focus of mine. Um, that actually took up all of Friday, or Good Friday, Saturday, streaming. and Sunday. You guys had a lot of viewers. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, I yeah. think we were like, other than like after the Pro Tour, obviously, which is always kind of an unfortunate conflict with us during regionals because it's held on the same weekend. Uh, it looks like our numbers were like, we definitely had the best viewers in terms of number of people and for the duration or the course of the day. Um, to go back to your original question, for the most part, nothing went too crazy. Um, we are, as a direct seller, standard is really, really hard for us to keep in stock. For the most part, as soon as things go online, they pretty much just get blown out right away. Um, so nothing too crazy in terms of price spikes or whatever. Um, I think the oddest thing was we sold out of all our foil-inspiring statuaries on Thursday or Friday morning. Um, I think there was a lot of expectations for that and Paradox Engine going to Pro Tour, neither of which panned out. Um, which is kind of interesting because it seems like with each passing Pro Tour, I think people are more and more keen to just try to jump the gun early because realistically by the time you start seeing, Oh, this card is seeing play in the feature match in round four or five. It's it, and you're waiting around. It's probably too late for you to get in. Um, that was definitely one of the advantages I had when I was actually attending the pro tours doing the side hustle is I could go around and actually watch what people were playing, watch what people were registering and what people were actually buying. 
And in, especially when I was in Sydney, it was very easy for me to get under radar and just buy probably like a hundred plus copies of Grim Flare because the, it was so far ahead. Most people were behind. Most people weren't ready to watch the Pro Tour coverage and people weren't really t- ready to be buying. And I noticed that it seemed like with this Grim uh, this pro tour, people are already buying in on Thursday, like well ahead. Basically, anything that went went up, trending upwards, people are already getting into that. So, Inspiring Statuary and Paradox Engines were two big ones. Um, I did see a small uptick in Herald of Anguish as well. I think people were kind of expecting an improvised type deck. Um, but by the time today rolled around, obviously, like Heart of Kieran sold really well. Uh, we the ones we bought regionals, we put some online. I think those did fine. Um, other than that, it was not really anything too crazy. There were there weren't any real breakout decks in terms of things that would massively spike over the weekend like we normally see in the past Pro Tour. So it was somewhat of a quiet Pro Tour in terms of finance. And Jim, was there anything you noticed? Because were you watching the Pro Tour stream at all or anything like that? Well, the problem with the Pro Tour, I think, this weekend or last weekend, was the time difference was kind of miserable for people that live on the East Coast. Um, if you had to have a job and you were working on Friday, then you didn't get to see basically any of it because the constructive round started at like 9 a.m. And by the time I was out of work, the Proto was over for the day. So I didn't actually get to watch any of it because of the time difference. I'll probably watch it on YouTube later uh, when it goes up, but um, the, I think the people were expecting some more decks to come out of the woodwork because of how much combo potential there was in the Aether Revolt. Like, I think that some of the people actually ended up just playing it safe. So the, the inspiring statuary deck was like a thing basically. And the team that was, go- or teams that were going to play it just kind of like bailed at the last minute. There's an article on the mothership about um, the teams that were just like thinking about playing this paradoxical outcome inspiring statuary deck and just the last second just decided that they were just gonna play it safe and then play a different deck instead and I don't blame them like obviously the Pro Tour is the biggest tournament that a lot of people will play in and the new team like the team architecture that's put in place now really incentivizes people not necessarily to take as many personal risks because you're if, if you do poorly it, it negatively impacts the rest of your team as well so like if you're on like a deck that could be has like a 30 percent chance to be good and a 70 percent chance to be absolute trash you know you're you're disincentivized to i guess brew and i think that might be a problem going forward is like a lot of teams will come to a consensus deck that's just a safe pick and they'll just play it instead of taking personal risk because they're they're risking other people's equity at that point. What what equity was there in the teams? I don't remember did the like the highest scoring overall team get something? So the team event is going to run throughout the whole year and then the the I think that the way that they do it is the five best players on each like the five best results on each team for each pro tour get added together and then the highest ranking teams at the end get something or get to play in a tournament or something like that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like worlds where like everything is cumulative. And if one person bombs out, it doesn't like tank the team. But if a bunch of people are like, we're going to try to play this paradoxical outcome deck. And, 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 you know, for some reason people playing like main, main deck dispels and you just never win. Like that's just a, a, a big pro- part of the problem. No, I do remember you. I do remember now that you mentioned it, there being something about how uh, it, it running over the course of the year and there being payouts based on that. So that's true. Yeah, that's that's the reason why people were upset, like about who was on the teams or whatever. And like somebody made a big thing about how there are no women on any of the teams, and that's just because it doesn't make sense to be on a team unless you're a gold or platinum level pro because you are not guaranteed to even play all four pro tours at that point. Like even if you're a silver level pro, it's still pretty hard because you have to earn some invites still to get to all of them because you only get one guaranteed invite if you're silver. So yeah, the the team thing I think is 
good on paper, but we might see some weird things where teams just play safe decks and not decks that are wacky or have like high variance because it'll cost their team too much to do that. And sort of moving on from this with the announcement from Wizards of the Coast about the teams, we also got this lovely piece of information today uh, from the Wizards of the Coast uh, quarter four 2016 results. Um, Brian D. Goldner, who basically represents Hasbro, came out with a couple paragraphs about the state of the game. And they achieve, uh, what they're saying is that Magic achieved a uh, 16.4% operating profit margin, which is actually pretty good for what they're doing. Um, one of the biggest things of this announcement, though, was that, uh, and I'm quoting here, uh, it's really for the long-term sustainable profit growth of Hasbro that we will still have some investments, particularly in 2017, on Magic the Gathering to get Magic Digital Next up and running and some other investments that we'll continue to make in this business. So basically what you have is Hasbro is uh, patting themselves on the back here saying, hey, we did really good making money this year with Kaladesh because again, this is the quarter for 2016 results and does not include Ether Revolt. So they're saying, we did a good job, shareholders. We made you money. And by the way, we're going to put some of that money that we made into Magic Digital next. And this comes right after Lee Sharp uh, waking up in the middle of the night after all these people were tweeting at her and saying, we're not going to shut down Magic Online. Don't worry about it. Official statement coming later. And then in the shareholders meeting, you have, hey, we're going to be working on Magic Digital next to improve the amount of money that you know, we're doing for shareholders and the dividends that we're paying out. Uh, how do you guys feel about this announcement relating to Magic Online? Um, I mean, I don't play Magic Online because I think it's a sham and it's a poorly written program and it's very expensive to play. And I don't know, I, I just, I don't find the value in it. I don't like supporting things that I don't feel have value. That being said, if Magic Digital Next is more like a Hearthstone-like game where I can't necessarily cash out my cards, but I can play online for much cheaper, and there are presumably less bugs, then you can convince me to, to try that out. That being said, I'm not really sure what Magic Digital Next is because it's unclear from what they're saying what it even entails. Like, it's just a name. It's just a bunch of words, and Honestly, it's just like a hype phrase, I think. Like, I don't really know. There's nothing tangible to tell me what that's going to be. Uh, it could be like a replacement for Duels of the Planeswalkers, which I doubt because they keep releasing little expansions every set that comes out for that. So I have really no idea what this what this is going to be. Uh, so I used to play Law Moto, and I think I remember having a pretty interesting discussion with someone. I think I might have stolen some ideas from someone on Reddit or something here regarding this. Um, so the problem with Moto and its current, uh, where it's currently at, is that the way they designed Moto back in 2001, they've kind of pigeonholed themselves into a corner in the sense that they want your card to be valuable. They want you to have an online collection, as it were, similar to how you'd have a paper collection. And while there are plenty of people who only have a paper collection and non-online collection because they want to, they don't want, rather, they don't want to spend the money into getting a moto collection. I think Wizards might be looking to bridge that gap with the future going into, uh, was it Magic Digital Next? The problem is that kind of leaves players in the dust with their current collection. And I think someone last week had reported uh, a drop in buy prices on moto tickets, one of the larger bot chains, because so many people were looking to cash out on their collections, looking to cash out on Moto as a whole because of the uncertainty of the future of the current Magic Online program. And as I had mentioned, the way they have designed it, it's not really looking good for the future in the sense that you have games like Hearthstone, you have all these various like online TCGs like Pokemon Online, very similar model where you can't, there's no tangible collection between uh, online and real life, like Moto, there's no redemption for either of those games, but people pay substantially less 
um, because they don't worry, have to worry about, oh, my cards have an X amount of value online because I can't transfer them out of there. There's no reason to have like, you know, your hundred dollar Tarmogoyfs online. Uh, Tarmogoyfs wouldn't be that expensive online if at one point there was no opportunity for them to be cashed out and they are now as rare as they are. Um, so it's kind of interesting. The, the magic online finance is kind of a different animal. It's not something I'm super familiar with. It does have its upsides in the current model, but I think if wizards is kind of looking to advance and make and be a serious contender in the online card game market, they probably do need to move away from where they currently are at, which has the same problem as a reserve list. If they abolish a reserve list in the sense that they get rid of the current, uh, Magic Online, I think that's going to piss a lot of people off, especially the bot chains, people who have invested a lot of time into building up their collections in order to have full modern decks, legacy decks, etc. Magic Online. Whereas if they don't, then it just feels like they're going to fall further and further behind things like Hearthstone and other online games. I um, I haven't invested as much time in Moto as like some of you guys have. Uh, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that if we see Magic next sort of imitate Hearthstone in any meaningful capacity or at least bring that sort of quick jump in, easy to get into, daily quests, this sort of more engaging style of, of delivery instead of these sort of uh, longer, grindier leagues and whatnot that Magic Online currently has. We can see a pretty large growth in player base, um, which would drive a lot of people client, a lot of people to paper Magic as well. So uh, a really good online client, I think a lot of people on our side of this conversation and by our side, I kind of mean the players. Uh, I think we're really, as a whole, underestimating how much the paper game could grow with a really strong digital client. Because what did we talk? There was something like last week, something about like Hearthstone. <clears throat> what did they say? They were making. It was Moto made. What was it? Twenty million dollars. Sixty-five thousand dollars a day was the number it, that they calculated for Moto, right? Yes. Yeah, and Hearthstone was like a million dollars a day. Yeah. Or something like that. Like it was just like comically larger. So there was clearly a lot of people playing that game. So with those types of numbers on Magic Digital Next, a lot of those could flow into the paper market, which would send stuff like, you know, doubling season and, you know, casual cards basically skyrocketing, depending on um, what format next pushes people towards. But, you know, I think that's something to, to think about, at least have on your radar. Yeah, it's something that's pretty like important to consider. Um, I don't know how many people will necessarily be translated from a digital platform like that to paper magic, but it definitely gets more people exposed to the game, which allows more people to get interested and get invested, and maybe they go to a Grand Prix, and, you know, <clears throat> a Grand Prix is definitely a lot different than a lot of other convention-style events where, like, there's a lot more to do there than there is to buy there. Like, it's not so much about like going to panels and listening to people talk. You actually just like get to meet people and play games. And that's just a really different environment. I feel like, so yeah, it's definitely interesting to think about how the player base could be affected by that. And like cards that haven't shown any signs of growth or, or very minimal growth in the last couple of years, you know, it could be all of a sudden the next big thing as a flood of players comes in. Because that was kind of the thing that happened uh, around Innistrad, the original Innistrad, was a lot of people just came into the game and cards got really expensive year over year because the packs just weren't opened enough and there wasn't enough supply of just even the last year's standard sets. So, like, things like the Fastlands from Scars of Mirrodin, when I came back to the game in Dark Ascension, were like fifteen to twenty dollars each for just rare lands, like rare dual lands. That's a thing that just doesn't happen anymore because there's not a significant jump in the player base every year, where the cards that are from the previous year are so much more expensive because they're so much harder to find. Um, you know, we could see things like even Thoughtseize, which has just gone to. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't Seven. even know how. Like. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's just so incredibly cheap. It's less. I think it's almost less than Inquisition of Kozilek at this point, right? Like, it costs less money. I think it was and considerably less before the reprint. I don't know where it is today. It's still cheaper than Thoughtseize, at least in our shop. Or Thoughtseize is still cheaper than Inquisition at our shop. Right, and like Thoughtseize is theoretically or arguably the most powerful discard spell ever printed in the entire game. Well, in, in the Turok, but. <laughs> 
Well, I, I said arguably. I mean, like, it's it's legal in everything instead of him to Tarak, which you can only play in, like, one and a half formats or something like that. But, you know, we could see a possibility where, like, Tarmac goes for $200 again, Thoughtseizers are $25, $30 again, because there's just a ton more people that need the cards. You, know, you figure if, if Digital Max brings something like, if it gets into the realm of Hearthstone, which is a million dollars a day, so you figure they've got, I mean, that's a lot of players. I mean, if you convert 3% of that to paper, you've got a pretty major boost to the existing Magic player base, I think. You know, it wouldn't take much. I think vendors would be the happiest out of anyone for that with booth prices going up and it getting harder and harder to compete as more and more people educating and start their own TCG shops. Wait, so, so if the player base explodes... And card prices rise you think the people that will be best off are the people who own lots of magic cards right yeah <laughs> just free money at that point. astute observation <laughs> captain obvious here as always bringing the high quality finance knowledge to this podcast um yeah. I, i'd also argue at some point that it's also just good for the player base because the economy might shift to something that's more like pokemon where bulk cards like just cards in volume might just become worth more money because players that are newer don't care how good their cards are. I think that's impossible because there's just actually so much bulk from the last two sets that even vendors are like don't want most of it, or they'll just pick it and try to flip it. The amount of Kaladesh and uh, what's what set am I thinking of? Uh, Kaladesh and Battle for Zendikar. Yeah, Battle for Zendikar bulk is just like obscene out there. Though Battle for Zendikar bulk might actually be worth it to start picking up and hoarding. Um, well, I'm just saying, like, if you see like a ton of players that just want cards but don't care what they are, that can help with the prices of like standard cards, for example. Yeah, and you know, Wizards has done a lot, uh, maybe more than they should have, as far as combating uh, prices. When you get stuff like Modern Masters Two and Eternal Masters and all these Commander reprints. And, you know, even though the player base has slowed down, like, if you find Eternal Master's bulk or Commander bulk, it's just fine to sit on because everything just goes up eventually. Like, there's no, you have no problem paying three or four per K on Eternal Master's and Modern Master's bulk and then just sitting on that for a year or two and then just making free money because something will pop. You know, you saw it with Eldrazi Temple, though they might have put that in there on purpose to help combat the price a little bit. But, I mean... I've got maybe 20,000 Eternal Masters bulk commons and uncommons stashed away at this point, and I see nothing but like free money a year or two down the road. I think that's one of the things that uh, you can't you can't get hurt with. Um, and no, I am I Doug did retire. This is not Doug talking, Ed. Uh, I I really just like sitting on some of this bulk, you know. Uh, there, there's way too much standard bulk out there, but if you can get supplemental bulk somehow, it just go for it. Apparently, it also makes good uh, chairs. I assume that you're literally sitting on five Ks right now. Uh, no, I've my, I can't move my webcam, but uh, this this double decker right here, the top thing is completely full of five rows. It, it's really good for a pole system. So, so one morning. You're gonna message us and be like, uh, "My double decker bed broke in my room today, and it yeah, all crashed on me while I'm sleeping." And there goes, there goes all my inventory that I need to put in the shop. Broke no, he's, just gonna, he's gonna text us with one hand, the one hand that's sticking out from the bed as it yeah. collapsed on him. Right, crushed by five rows. That's the way to go in this industry. Uh, let's get into some viewer questions. We actually had quite a few people send us messages. It's nice to see a positive response from you guys on both Twitter and Reddit about our cast. And you know that people are starting to quote us more and, and use us more in mainstream finance. I guess they're getting tired of the old fogies over at Brainstorm Brewery or Brainstorm Nursery. Uh, let's let's see. What do we want to start with? Um, really? You're going to sh throw shade to them? Really? I, I love Is that how we're going to operate now? You know, I love those guys, but I I do know that there's a substantial amount of people that don't like the baby talk. So, I mean, wait, do they really talk about babies the whole time, or part not of the, the time? whole time? They just bring it up every cast, and like, uh, you know, this is mainly coming from people who <clears throat> uh, shop at my brick and mortar and want to kiss my ass, but they'll listen to both casts and they'll be like, "Thanks for not talking about diaper finance, guys." 
you know. So I mean, that's just because there's like a decade of of years between you and them. Right. Well, then there's Doug. So. Who wears the yeah. diaper? Yeah. Uh, probably Doug. Yeah. Uh. Ed, did we already answer uh, Treva the Kleva's question about Magic Online and paper prices that you sort of went into earlier? Yeah, I think we kind of touched on it. I think, like, the biggest things, um, it just comes up so rarely. I think the biggest kind of takeaways uh, for Magic Online uh, finance is that being able to just very quickly flip things over is a huge boon. I don't think people realize like how, what the kind of impact that has on paper magic for example the floor on bulk rares realistically is 10 cents right on magic online some of your worst worst rares are probably looking you're probably looking at like one to two cents if they have no real application other than hey we need these to fill redemption sets which is actually the purpose of a lot of standard magic cards is people need them to fill magic set um Redemption sets, which is realistically the other kind of pillar of Magic Online finance, as it were, is Mythics are kind of the <clears throat> the, the the gateway for whole, for being able to redeem Magic sets. So things like even the cheapest Mythic, they're all it's always very good at buying out of those, at because at some point when Redemption when the Redemption window starts to close, there's a huge flurry for people. Hey, I need this Mythic. It's very hard to find. We're talking things like. I, I can't Temporal think of it. trespass because you had you had stuff like Fate Reforged where you could redeem it with sh- with shipping. It was forty eight dollars, and you basically just paid for the Ugin and Monastery Mentor, and then everything else was free. Yeah, basically, like you know, very similar. And the things that people like, it's very easy to find Ugins, find the Monastery Mentors, and most people probably do hold on to those. The things that people are missing are quite literally the bulk mythics, because it's people usually cash those out after they're done drafting. And in order to redeem your sets, you need to get those. So if you want a quick flip, then all you have to do is just buy into Mythics. Before before Redemption, just sit on them. They get down, they get down pretty cheap. You'll need to redeem them. It's very, very easy to cash out on those. Um, and that's kind of the effect that Redemption has on Magic Online, which is, which is what kind of sets it apart. And that's why we see online collections being worth so much. And I think that's why there's some real tangible concern about the effects of Magic Digital Next, um, kind of like the uncertainty that it, and the pressure it puts on a lot of people who do have the Magic Online collections. And in terms of how it reflects in paper prices, uh, we do see a lot of stores, Kid Icarus, um, Preston on eBay, he is like one of the power sellers. And before they made the change to um, Redemption, I think it was back in Gatecrash or something when it went from $25 uh, up from $15, some of the big power sellers, the bot chains, I've heard people saying that they would redeem anywhere from three to 500 sets a week just to be able to break those and then cash on all the placeouts on eBay, which isn't really a thing anymore, but like, like that's the kind of thing that Redemption does, and that's like probably the biggest bridge between Magic Online and Paper. God, that is so much work. Can I mean, to be three, fair, three hundred full playsets from Moto, and then listing them all on eBay and selling them. Ugh. If you've seen Preston hit up a GP, he's just like actually insane. Like some of the Japanese power buyers as well. Like they just like vacuum everything up because they work out prearranged prices with some of the vendors on what they want to buy. Just like when vendors buy from other vendors at the end of the GP to get stock. So yeah, like he, I, it's crazy to see him work at Grand Prix. Uh, we got another question from at CardZoom. With Pro Tour Ether Revolt being the last Pro Tour to truly feature energy sets, will cards like Glint Sleeve Siphoner fade into obscurity, or could Amoncot bring synergy? Uh, it is way too early to answer that question with any kind of certainty. Uh, I assume that energy and vehicles and other things of that nature are just one and done kind of deals, but I think energy is pretty well received. I think people enjoy playing with it. Um, so it's possible it's in the next set, but unlikely. Um, that being said, I don't think that, that the cards that are in those sets necessarily become less played because we already know how powerful they are and they're not rotating out of standard. So I don't understand why there would be any 
any of that happening other than maybe the decks that they're in just become not good. Um, I don't know. It's too early to tell. I'm inclined to say that we kind of have a, a problem, as it were, similar to Otha Gatewatch, the introduction of a lot of the mechanics in that, in that block, Devoid, which ultimately served no purpose. Uh, the colorless mana, kind of a similar vein. We have, you know, Spire of Industry, it adds a colorless mana, but we haven't seen anything that requires colorless mana in either ability or casting costs. So to me, it just kind of feels like it's, we've had some somewhat poor design in the sense that it feels like these mechanics are very parasitic and very inbred. Like, it was nice to see kind of a flourish in, like, the like we do see, obviously, the Eldrazi decks, they've had their impact on modern legacy and vintage, obviously, but it's unlikely, at least the way I see it, I have a hard time seeing how they can incorporate colorless um, mana into any real set going forward. And I think energy is kind of in the same boat. I think um, energy will still be relevant for its life and standard, but I think it's just one of those things that'll kind of go the way of, like, Arcane in Champions uh, Kamigawa block. But... It, it, again, like I think what Jim said, it's just way too early to tell. Cards like Aether, uh, Aetherworks Marvel, I've kind of like touted in the past about how it's. Uh, I think it's a very real spec. I think that's the type of thing that you can hold on to. You have two years of it left in standard. And at some point, if something is going to break an energy card, it's likely going to be Aetherworks Marvel because that's the type of high ceiling card you want in a spec. Yeah, you know... With regards to um, it was it stature, <clears throat> statue of industry or whatever spire of industry, I mean it makes colorless mana, but all cards that generate colorless mana will now indicate it that way, right? Like it's not like a not like a a card that was planted for oath of the gatewatch cards. It's more like all you know, even the new soul rings have that symbol. Like we know that that's how it functions. So you're always going to be seeing cards that create that. The colorless mana in battle, and uh, I guess it was just Oath of the Gatewatch. God, that was dumb. They didn't put it in battle. Um, it does seem evergreen. Uh, remember, we're only barely, we're, we are two sets past it, right? Like we did Innistrad, and now we're, we just finished Kaladesh, and we haven't seen it again. So they might start rolling it out again soon. Um, and then we could see the same thing with energy down the road. I'm inclined to say we'll see colorless mana return before we see energy. The energy seems a little more difficult to put into other um, other planes uh, as opposed to the colorless mana. Like it seems like that's easier to kind of get away with using and telling and coming up with. Um, so I don't think I think it's too early for us to write these off entirely because it's really only been two sets since the most or two. We're on the second block since since the earliest use of this kind of alternate mechanic. In general, though, I wouldn't be inclined to say that we're going to see a lot of it or that we're going to see it frequently. Most of the time, Wizards leaves its mechanics behind and only picks them up on uh, when they return to that plane. I mean, <clears throat> look back over the last, what, decade. How many times have mechanics of any sort returned i mean you, you know they'll show up in standard if it's the same set you know it's the same plane like you know it's all landfall return in zendikar but i should say how many items became um evergreen right like shroud became evergreen prowess became evergreen but there's that's a really short list so i wouldn't expect to see too much of it jeremy yep uh i'm not sure how i feel about this i think they're gonna move on and just do something new uh, it's a good question. I know that this guy's got a couple glint of the glint siphoner energy dark confidant thingy stashed away. Um, I hope it goes up because I opened a foil Russian one out of one of Ed's boxes today. So get hyped. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like this could be dark confidant 2.0 or it could be pain seer. There's really no way to tell at this point. And we have seen it on camera on some of the star city things, uh, so it might go up, it might find a new shell, or it might just come back when the meta shifts. You, you never really know. Um, let's get into the next question. This one should be easy. One of our guests, Paul Fudo, asks, what's the best convention center food you guys have ever had at a Grand Prix? Uh, the food I brought with me. I largely second what Jim said. Like, I think, like... Um, for people who um, weren't here at the beginning of the cast, I had said that the kind of secret that I've learned at Grand Prix is you you can't be eating convention center food. 
Um, I think all the traveling I do, going to all these Grand Prix, especially back-to-back ones, eating like just like fried food, greasy food, like the chicken tenders plus fries, I think that just destroys my immune system. Um, I think in San Jose, I think our like I, our diet over the course of the weekend was uh, wings the first night, pizza the second night, and steak the third night. And while they were all delicious, I just it, it just made me feel like garbage. And I actually was like I took I had to take a day off because I just felt so sick after that. Um, I can't think of any convention center food that was actually like truly outstanding, uh, other than what I buy and bring to a Grand Prix myself. Jim? Whoops, I had my mic on mute. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, yeah, Travis, not Jim. Oh. Yeah, I was like, what do you... I, I gotta go again. Still the thing that I bring with me. Uh, it seems... Uh, it must be really difficult to eat anything green at those GPs, right? Like, when you're on that grind. It's one thing to do it once, but every weekend? So, I've seen, like, a, like maybe one booth that focuses on being healthy. But then you also look at, like, some of the buyers and they're literal, like, walking bowling balls. <clears throat> Well, yeah, I mean, I just it's not a healthy lifestyle, like Ed said. Yeah, I'm just thinking about you know again. You can Ed's get green comments. stuff sometimes. Like it depends on the the convention center. Usually, there'll be like one stand that has like pre-made salads that you could buy, but they're like seven dollar, eight dollars, and I'm paying eight dollars for half a head of lettuce. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can find something, but I would imagine there's a lot less options. It's not nearly as good. Uh, you know, it doesn't pack as well. You know, you can you can throw like power bars and trail mix in your backpack, but you can't do that with salads nearly as easily. In any case, you know, I haven't been on the GP circuit nearly as long or as hard as these guys, but I've found that what I like best is skip the convention food entirely. Um, throw again trail mix yogurt covered pretzels any sort of munchie in your backpack to just gnaw on during the day drink a lot of water and then uh, make a point of finding a restaurant worth eating at that night i think it really depends on where you are in the country um obviously harry and izzy's is a snap lock every time we're up in indy because it's like one of the better steakhouses up there and I think like every time we've gone there, it's been over a hundred dollars for lunch, but completely worth it per person. Um, uh, Louisville's food was okay. There was like a pork producer thing. It looked really unhealthy if you ate it more than once a day, which a lot of people were doing. Um, it was like pork burger, pork chop, like literally everything pork. My favorite food was probably back when modern was good. Kansas city GP 2012, there were three different, uh, uh, it was Arthur Bryant's, uh, Oklahoma Joe's and Gates that all catered the GP literally right outside the door. So like, it was like real barbecue and it wasn't like some nasty convention center food. So like they literally made it in the restaurant and then just had trucks drive up and serve you like the whole nine yards. You could get vegetables and everything. And it was the same prices in the restaurant. Yeah, I have to wonder if uh, with the advent of food trucks, if you're generally going to be served, <clears throat> your best bet in conventions is trying to find a food truck outside. Especially if you're at Gen Con where there's just lines of food trucks outside. Yeah. Seems good. Don't eat convention food. I would, however, recommend trying to get breakfast at the hotel. That definitely helps you get through the day. Uh I would completely agree on the get breakfast. I don't like eating it at the hotel. I think you're, I prefer to, again, like find a local coffee shop or even a Starbucks. Hotel breakfasts are so awful. There's a lot of ones that have like, uh, what is it, like omelet bars and whatnot, where there's like a guy making omelets for you. I think that's okay. But if it's like $22 for a, you know, bagel and, and pancakes thing, probably not worth it. I think you can find solid food at hotels like breakfast but the cost of the hotel the amount of cost to stay in the hotels that will give you good food you're probably not going to want either pay the much for that for the room or pay whatever they want for the breakfast like those holiday in breakfast are miserable that's because someone can't write it off as a business expense travis uh correct i was not able to write those off as business <laughs> expenses yep I'm kind of a girl, so I like to do like meal replacement type things. So these usually do well for me. One, you have like these boost drinks, which is basically like a meal replacement. Probably not the healthiest thing to be doing all the time either, but it's filling. It's somewhat nutritious, I think. 
and they're cheap and economical. And these, we were talking about this before the show, I get these in Japan. You need um, to uh, say what those are for people who aren't watching this live. Yeah, these are Calorie Mates. It's basically flavored powdered chalk. It's made of wheat protein and various other things. Um, same kind of idea. They're meal replacements. Um, it kind of helps you over the course of the day. It's better than eating like like while trail mix, like yogurt cover pretzels, all those things are great. It's a little rough on the stomach if that's the only thing on it. Um, so that's why I eat these things long days. It's convenient, it's easy to pack. So you'll see me eating these at Grand Prix. That's more or less what I can tolerate now. One, because I'm cheap. And even though I technically can write things off as business expenses, I'm still cheap. And I just refuse to eat any sort of fried or unhealthy stuff at Grand Prix if I can avoid it in any way I can. Well, I think we answered the food question pretty well for our listeners. Is there anything you guys want to talk about before we move into pick of the week? Uh, why are combo decks not named after breakfast foods anymore? The sky is falling. Magic's dying. The That's world went and got itself in a great big hurry, Brooks. I mean, I heard, I heard like, Copycat's like a fine name for the Sahili Ride deck, but it really should have been like a breakfast cereal or something. Just not not Copycat. Frosted Flakes for Tony the Tiger? No, so the best thing I've seen is uh, Sahelios. That was um, on... Oh man, what is his name? Ryan Overture, there we go. On his Twitter account, he asked for the breakfast cereal that should go with that deck. But I'm just really sad that I had to explain in my article why Cheerios is the name of the zero casting cost artifact deck in modern. And a lot of people just didn't know. All right. Let's cat move into crunch. Uh, cat crunch. All right. Let's move into pick of the week. Jim, you're first up. Uh, my pick of the week is nothing because magic's ruined forever. No, um, I think if you see people like panic selling in- inspiring statuary, I think that card is like it's too good not to be a thing at some point in time, and you have two years before it rotates out of standard. Um, I played with it a bunch. It's really good. Like it feels like cheating. I don't know what else to tell you. It probably shouldn't be a $2 card. Someone will find a way to make it good. And when they do, it'll be very expensive. Which card did you say? Inspiring Statuary. Oh, it's not $2. Like, it's like 5 bucks. <laughs> Is that the retail price? Right now on TCG low, four twenty-five shipped. <clears throat> how do you? How? Where are you looking? I see. Wait, wait, wait. What card did you say? Inspiring statuary. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at Spire of Industry. It's stupid cards, same stupid names. It's like not at all the same name. At like. Inspiring statuary and Spire of Industry. They're so they similar. Both have, they both have, both have Spire in their name, kind of. That's yeah, it. Right. What's ads? Um, so I've noticed that going back and listening to some of these, I tend towards mythics. I think my pick of the week, uh, maybe not right now, but it might be torrential gear Hulk. I think, um, people had a lot of high hopes. Um, and then the copycat decks not doing well. None of the control decks did incredibly well. Um, I think that will probably put a bit of a dampening on the price. We'll probably see it trend downwards until a, a real, like good control deck kind of has a breakthrough again. Uh, I think about Torrential Gear Hulk is I think it will always be good. It only gets better as more instants are printed. Um, it does have some applications in Frontier. It's the, like, I guess it's a probably a pretty good casual card because there's no real restrictions on what you can flash back uh, for free. Um, so I imagine, like, it'll probably fall a similar trajectory to Virtus Gear Hulk. It doesn't really have a home right now, but it's probably not going to be that way forever. Um, I think it's still hovering about twenty dollars on TCG. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. If it does get like back into the fifteen to twelve dollar range, that's when I would be looking to buy. 
Um, if you do need a set for yourself, I would probably recommend just picking it up now, getting it out of the way, because, again, I have a lot of faith in the card, and I think it will always be good and always a safe hold. Uh, it's probably got to be the best blue card in standard, right? It's pretty close. It's either that or uh, Glimmer of Genius, but that's not a rare or a mythic. Um, I don't know. It's, it's immediately after the Pro Tour, so it's kind of... To pick anything because prices are so inflated at the moment, so it's kind of easier to talk about what cards they drop. Uh, you know, in terms of anything that might move in the near future, I think Heart of Kieran is a really powerful card. I liked it before; it just the price didn't get low enough to buy in on. The price has started to come down already. It's, it looked like you could pick up copies for about twenty-ish, um, but you know, if that drops back down to um, ten or high single digits, it might be worth scoring those. Uh, other than that, standard cards it could rise. <clears throat> I don't know. I was thinking about foil spire of industries. They're like ten or eleven. That's a little too much for me right now. Uh, but I do like that the card has applications outside of standard. Uh, it's a pretty powerful land. So uh, other than that, I don't know. Maybe foil hardened scales, but that's a much longer pickup. How about Jeremy, who's invested in his phone at the moment? Uh, no, my phone's over there, so it doesn't interrupt the cast. My pick is Mechanized Production. This is a casual favorite. The other reason why I like it is I'm having a ton of fun playing it in Standard right now at FNM. I finally completed my Foil Russian Standard deck uh, with Mechanized Production. And yeah, I mean, the card's a lot of fun to play. And if it gets down to bulkier status, I'm all in on this card long term. Uh, right, copying uh, Prophetic Prism is just so much fun. Is it fun or is it not? Is it not? I think it's not. What? Dude, there's so many good targets in this deck that you can hit. You can put it on a Prophetic Prism. You can put it on a Pendulum of Patterns against the Vehicles deck, which has won me a lot of games. Oh, it's ca casual dream. Okay, so there's one more card I want to talk about, but I forgot when I was... Because I got had to go first. So... Release the Gremlins. Yeah, that card's sweet. I think that card is going to be very good, and they're a quarter right now on TCG Player. Um, if the Marjorie deck continues to be very good, there's a ton of targets in that deck to just make a bunch of tutus, and the vehicles fly are the only things that fly in that deck. So a bunch of tutus against a bunch of three twos is just a good deal. Um, if you don't own any release the gremlins, uh, I would rem remind you that you should probably go buy them. Um, I don't think this is going to be necessarily like a, like a five to $10, like rare at any point in time, but it could be two or $3 and you could probably buy a list them for more than you paid for them. If you buy them now, that's mostly because all of the shatter effects and standard are garbage. All right. And where can people find you guys? Uh, my name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROSD underscore. Uh, I'm Edwin. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. I will be at a vendor booth with Kerwins this weekend in Pittsburgh. I will also be at Vancouver the weekend after that. Uh, again, I'm Travis Allen. My Twitter handle is right there. MTG Price every Monday. MTG Fast Finance on Thursdays. And if you like playing Magic, Scry.Land. And I'm Zemet. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. Thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats cast number 41. And we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.